a gaming conversation with the world's first professional gamer. I'm Tanya Hall, and joining me is Dennis Thresh Fong, entrepreneur and gamer. Welcome, Dennis. Uh, thanks for having me. So do you, do you prefer I call you Dennis or, or Thresh? Uh, either one works. <laughs> <laughs> You're considered by many to be the first true professional gamer. Give us a brief summary of your background as it relates to gaming and entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, I mean, just like a lot of young kids, I started gaming when I was, you know, well, I guess probably later than what kids get into it uh, these days. But I started up probably when I was 11 or 12 uh, playing games like Doom. And, uh, you know, I didn't realize I was any good at it. But, um, you know, one, one thing led to another and I started winning pretty much every tournament that I competed in. Um, you know, there was no such thing as pro gaming, uh, back in those days. Um, but, uh, these tournaments started forming, there were, you know, some of them started with effectively no prize money. You know, you would just win either, uh, you know, like some free, free gear, free mouse, free, free keyboard, that kind of stuff. Um, and it slowly kind of went up from there. Um, I built a name for myself, um, as my, my handle Thresh. Um, as being the best uh, player online uh, in games like Doom and Quake. Um, and um, probably what I was most well known for was um, winning John Carmack's Ferrari in 1997. Uh, he put up his Ferrari as a, as a grand prize for a tournament. Um, and uh, I was the favorite going in. I ended up winning it. Um, and uh, I guess history was made there because that was, you know, certainly the biggest uh, gaming prize uh, back then. Um, and for many years afterwards. Um, and basically I used the money that I was making in, uh, you know, as a gamer, um, which was six figures, which was a ton back in those days, um, to start my first company, and, which was called gamers.com. Um, and subsequently I've started five total companies since then, uh, raised a bunch of money, sold some of them. Um, so I think that's a pretty short version of my life <laughs> right there. So parents, it goes to show that gaming can pay off. In fact, do you still have the Ferrari? I have to know. Uh, I kept it for 10 years um, and I finally sold it just because it was just, well, number one, it was a modified Ferrari. It wasn't a normal Ferrari. It was, uh, if, if, you don't, if you don't know, John Carmack, who, who um, founded it software, um, was, uh, he was really into cars and really into rockets. And, you know, in fact, he turned his cars into rockets. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a normal Ferrari. It had, I don't know, something like 700 horsepower or something like that. Um, you know, funny story. I used to live next to the Ferrari dealership of San Francisco. And, uh, the first time I, after I got the car, I brought it there to get serviced and they popped the hood and they said to me, we don't recognize one part in this engine right now. <laughs> so, so for me to get it actually serviced, I had to ship it to Texas, which is where he had it, um, a shop that where he had it modified. So it was a little bit of a pain uh, to uh, to keep it around, and I it was too flashy for me. It was red. It was super loud. It was convertible. Um, so I really didn't drive it that often. Uh, in fact, I actually had it installed in the office lobby. Uh, so you know, for many years, actually, I just didn't. I, I couldn't drive it because it was stuck inside the lobby of my office. Um, so yeah, after about ten years, I just said, you know what, I. I, I just need to move on. <laughs> so I sold it. Sounds about like the coolest Ferrari ever, but that said, so let's, let's talk about gaming a little bit. What made Doom and Quake the kind of game that inspired people like yourself to complete, compete professionally? 
Well, they were really the first true kind of multiplayer games. Um, I mean, there were text-based games that were online before then, but, you know, in terms of, um, you know, a more fully immersive type of uh, game, um, you know, it was one of the first ones. And, um, you know, it just drew people in, you know, including me, because it, you went from playing, you know, a dumb computer to playing, you know, real people online, um, which meant that every single game that you played was different. You know, you never get the same experience um, twice. And so, uh, um, you know, that's, that's what drew me in. And I think it's still what, you know, I think uh, drives people to, to play games today. Is, is there a moment in your competitive history that stands out to you as a defining moment? Uh, I mean, I think clearly it would have been winning the Ferrari. Um, you know, it was... Uh, it was a pretty cool moment in gaming history. You know, this was in 1997, remember? So this was a long time ago, over 20 years ago. Um, so to have a prize like that back then, um, you know, is a pretty big deal. Um, I remember uh, when I was competing in the tournament, um, you know, one of the things that actually defined me as a gamer, uh, because, you know, I hadn't lost, you know, I never lost. I was undefeated in five plus years that I was competing, is that I don't get nervous. Um, and, uh, it was the first time I remember getting nervous, but not for the reason that you would expect because, um, the finals were held at E3, um, Atlanta and, uh, the way that my, uh, computer happened to be set up, my monitor was set up, uh, for the very final match was that the Ferrari was directly behind me. And, uh, you know, I was up, I think 13 to negative one. So I had the game locked up. There were 10 seconds left. I saw the countdown on the monitor. And then it started hitting me that I, I was going to win the, the car. And then I also, for the first time, noticed that I could see the Ferrari in the reflection of my monitor. And then I just started getting like super nervous because I, I couldn't believe that I was winning a Ferrari. So that was definitely the defining moment of my career. What kinds of challenges should an aspiring gamers undertake to hone their skills and quickly and effectively become better? Uh, I mean, well, number one, gaming, it, it's, it's not a, like, you can't just good, get good at gaming, quote unquote. You have to pick the game that you're going to play and, and get at. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, just like anything that you want to get good at, you have to put in the time. So, you know, I think the number one thing is just practice. You know, people ask, well, how do I get aim like that? How do I move so, you know, how do you move so well? How do I do X, Y, and Z? Well, you just got to put in the, you got to put in the work. It's <laughs> uh, just like anything, anything else in life. Um, and uh, I would say, you know, at, at a high level, it's really about um, every single time that you play, you should have a purpose. You know, you don't, you don't just play and, you know, you, you always want to reflect back on the matches that you played and think about how you, the things that you did right, the things that you did wrong and try to build on, top, build on that, you know, and I think a lot of people, when they play games, they just look at the end result, but the end result, you know, i.e. if you won the game, doesn't always tell the whole story. You could end up playing a game, play poorly and still win, or you could have made a lot of mistakes and still have won. Um, and so, you know, being really objective when you look back at your play and trying to understand the things that you could do better is a pretty important part of uh, becoming a, a professional level uh, player. How do you determine what game is best for you? I mean, how, how do you assess 
your own skills and make sure that your the game that you're playing is suited. I mean, I would think that's like other sports. So how do you know what's the best way to approach it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you should pick the ones that you're good at. <laughs> Number one, if you aspire to be uh, a pro, um, but you should also pick the ones that you love. You know, I'm a big believer of, of um, you know, following your passion. Um, and it's a lot easier to get good at something if you love it. And, you know, I see people uh, play games that they don't love just because they think that there's an opportunity there, but they're going to burn out because then it feels like work. Um, so, you know, I think the, the more that you do something in life that you love, it doesn't feel like work. It just feels like play. And so putting in eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours to get good at it, you know, every day um, is a breeze. And I think, you know, if you can get to that point or find the right game, um, you know, I think that makes it a lot easier. Gaming is often criticized for, you know, its, its ability to pull people in and shut off the world. As a competitor, how important is it to maintain a life away from the game? I think it's actually super important. Um, and actually, when you look at esports today and how a lot of the teams operate and how, how a lot of the players operate, they actually make it a point to, to carve out time for fitness, you know, staying healthy, exercise, because being in shape, um, you know, even for esports helps you stay focused for longer periods of time, um, you know, helps you have more energy uh, throughout the day when you're competing. Um, you know, that includes eating well. Um, you know, it's not people don't just power, you know, 15 Mountain Dews a day anymore. You know, people care a lot more about their fitness and, and understand that it, it actually uh, impacts their performance in, in, in their game. Um, and, uh, you know, actually some of the top teams also have like, you know, um, psych sports psychologists on staff to help them kind of think about the game and think positively. And, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's at a level now of a uh, level of professionalism that is, you know, near equal to, to any professional sport. How easy is it for um, the average person to get involved in gaming? I mean, you have to have a lot of equipment, right? You have to be able to purchase the games. And for, for parents who might even want to support their kids getting involved, or maybe young people or adults who are interested in starting this for the first time, how, how accessible is it? I actually think it's far more accessible now than it used to be. Uh, back when I was competing, um, you know, it would cost like three, four, five thousand dollars to have a top top of the line computer, which was required to play any of the games um, that you would want to compete in. Um, but you know, the cost of hardware and a PC today is it's much lower. Number one, you can get a really good PC for a couple grand or less. Um, you know, a lot of the games also don't require um, the highest end uh, PCs anymore. Um, when you look at, you know, probably the number one esport in the world, which is League of Legends, I mean, you can literally play League of Legends on a five, six-year-old computer and have no issues. Um, and the game's free, too. You know, back in those days, you know, you had to drop 50 bucks to go buy Quake. Um, whereas now, League of Legends is free. So literally, the barrier of entry is incredibly low. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think that's largely what's um, driven the rise of gaming in general is these free-to-play games that don't require, like high-quality free-to-play games that don't require uh, high-end systems so that they, because, because they are infinitely accessible to a lot of people. Has cryptocurrency mining affected the gamer's ability to acquire affordable video hardware? Uh, I think that 
did happen uh, for a period of time when crypto was super hot. Uh, that, that was probably about, I don't know, I guess a year ago or, or so, but crypto's cooled off a lot since then. Um, and I think now there's a huge surplus in G high-end GPUs in the market. So the prices have come down, um, which is, I suppose, good for gaming, bad for people that are into crypto. <laughs> what gaming technologies are on the horizon that most excite you today? Gaming technologies. Um... I don't know, AR, VR, is, is maybe spatial computing the, the next phase? Uh, I mean, I think VR is, uh, you know, I don't know. I guess I'm not really super excited about either VR or AR. Um, I actually think that, and that doesn't mean that, that they're not good, I think. Um, so I actually ironically get really bad motion sickness. Um, even for the super good VR systems out there, um, I'll get motion sickness within uh, five, five, five minutes of playing them, using them. Um, and I, that's just a, a me thing. Not, not really, uh, it's not reflective of the quality of VR today. And, and you know, cause um, they're really good systems today. Um, but, uh, you know, I've heard the Oculus Quest is a game changer. I have a lot of friends that are playing it uh, that previously were not really that into games and certainly not into VR. So I think, I think that, has a lot of promise um but uh yeah i just can't, I, I just can't get into it myself so i can't really speak to it well, i think the motion sickness <laughs> will certainly have something to do with that so yeah. as an investor as somebody who's you know looking at what's next and and, and from the investment side of the business what is it you're looking for when you see something that you want to help succeed uh, to be honest, I mean, I'm not a professional investor. I'm not like a venture capital, you know, investor. I, um, I'm an angel investor. So it's, you know, and typically I find stuff that I think looks or sounds super fun or interesting. And it doesn't have to be a game. Um, just, you know, I like things that are either there's like a social, like a positive social impact component to it potentially um, or, you know, I know the founders, uh, the guys that are, you know, starting something, they're friends of mine and I, I you know, I, I'll put in money just to support them. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I've invested in all sorts of stuff actually, but I mean, I, I would say, you know, again, I'm not a professional investor, so it's, it's more driven by either things that I find really super fun or interesting, um, like projects that I think are super fun or interesting or, um, things that I think are good for the world. Dennis Thrush, Fong, entrepreneur, gamer, advisor, and investor. If somebody wants to connect with you, Dennis, what's the best way they can do that? Uh, they could just hit me up on Twitter. Uh, my, my username is at uh, Thrush. Sounds good. And if you guys want to find more of my interviews, you can do that right here or go to tanyahall.net. Thanks for watching.